Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. And uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, you can go ahead and hit the lights because uh, I'm going to talk for just a minute before we get started. Um, <clears throat> this is a, okay, so kids, if you guys want to go ahead and take off the little ones, no, staying in here? They don't want to. It's scary. It's okay. The teacher's harmless. <sighs> Get it? Because, okay. Well, uh, this is an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so I'm going to talk about two things before we start. Just two little context type things. And then I'm going to uh, share, as we go through this passage, I'm going to share, there's going to be uh, three thoughts or lessons, if you want to call them that. And uh, underneath one of those thoughts, I've got four little sub-points, okay? And part of the reason for that is this passage, in and of itself, there's a, probably a lot of these verses that you're going to hear and you're going to go, man, that sounds so familiar. I've heard, I've heard that verse before, I've heard that verse before. And uh, when I first started preaching, I probably would have tackled this one verse at a time. Uh, I like to do that, and so I probably would have done like several sermons over this passage. But I think that there's a big point here that I don't want to miss, and so uh, I'm going to take this all at once. So let's start off with these two little things here. Uh, the first one is just kind of a context issue. You're going to hear a word in this passage. You're going to hear the word uh, prostitute, right? Prostitution. And uh, I know some of you are like, I've never heard that word in church before. Okay, so, uh, um, and uh, this next word you're going to hear, uh, I, I have a hard time saying it because my mom is in the room. Sex. Okay, so you're going to hear that word. Um, you guys know who invented that? God did. Um, but we're going to talk about it today because that's where the text goes. And so we have to talk about that. And so... With that first word, prostitute, it's important to understand the context of Corinth. Okay? So I want you to understand as we're going through here that for the Corinthian people, right, in, this, in their society, a lot of times marriage was about gaining some measure of social standing. Okay? Um, this actually connects a little bit with last week. So you may have heard last week with Pastor John talking about lawsuits among believers. And you may have heard him mention, if you were here last week, that uh, there was a lot of that wasn't about criminal law. It was about trying to gain a leg up over somebody else. Isn't that correct? Okay. Now, if you're also wondering, how did he know that? He wasn't here. Did you know that we put all of our sermons online? Did you know that? And you, if you miss a week, you can always go online. You can catch it from the previous week. So you can stay up to date, which really makes sense. If we're studying a book of the Bible, and we're going through here. If you miss a week, we don't pause right? And wait for you. We go ahead. And so you're missing out something that might be really important. And so uh, I listened to last week's message and he was talking about that. And that's actually the connection between what he's talking about there and where he's going to go next. For the Corinthians, marriage, a lot of it was about gaining a leg up in society. So they might marry somebody not based on love, but based on, hey, this person can move me up in the ranks here. There's an important family connection. And so they would do those things. Okay. Uh, for the Corinthian people, as well as a lot of these places, but actually really, really for Corinth, sex was very much uh, what we, we might call today like casual sex, right? That the it's just like, it's a, just something that you did. That it wasn't uncommon for, to have a dinner party 
for a wealthy Corinthian family. And after dinner was over, to have some prostitutes that would show up just for the occasion. And then they would go off to finish the night. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, we hear that and we go, that's crazy. But I want you to say, I don't, I don't think that the Corinthian people were that much different than we are today. I think there's going to be a lot of connections that you're going to see drawn here. So that's the first thing. So keep that in mind. So when I talk about that, you'll kind of get a basic idea that this was all about. Um, what's the, I was trying to think of it this morning. I know that there's some app, like if you want to hook up with somebody. Which one is that? Do anybody know which one that, what one that, Tinder? Is that the one, the hookup at, right? Hey, I got to be honest, we're not that much different, are we? Think of these Corinthian people, they're looking for the, the hookup, right? I don't know if it's Tinder. I'm taking you guys' word for it. Wow, you guys shouldn't know that anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, we're going to have a conversation. After, oh, it's Tinder. Oh, really? How did you know that so quickly? Um, have a little meeting. Um, second thing is, uh, you're going to hear in this passage uh, some slogans. Now, in the original Greek, they didn't have quotation marks for a, a phrase that Paul was quoting. And so the, our translators, they try to, if they think that them, something is a quote or a phrase, like a slogan, they try to put quotes around it so that you know this is probably something that Paul was quoting from something else. And so you're going to hear some slogans. Okay? And what we think, every commentary said, this is probably a Corinthian slogan. Okay, there's going to be two in our passage specifically this morning. There's actually some others. There's a, like I said, there's another one in this chapter. There's one in chapter 7. There are three slogans that Paul mentions in chapter 8, and there's one in chapter 15. Now, I think that probably what we're seeing here is, you remember at the beginning of uh, Corinthians, he was talking about the, the teachers of wisdom, right? You had these teachers. I, I think that probably, and once again, I don't think this is that much different than today. There were little catchphrases that people would use to capture something that they felt was true. Okay? Now you're going to see Paul react in different ways. He may say with these slogans as he brings them up, he may reject it outright. He may uh, say there's an element of truth that may be true, but... Okay, so he's going to kind of address these little slogans. That did remind me of today, because I think we have some slogans. Uh, we have little catchphrases. I thought about trying to come up with a whole bunch of them, but uh, I, I didn't have the, the time or the energy to come up with just a bunch of random slogans, because I really want to get to the text. But the two that jumped into my mind immediately, one of them I picked up, I heard this slogan when I used to be a truck driver. Did you guys know I used to drive a truck in the summer times? I was a furniture mover. Man, you can pick up a lot of slogans from truck drivers, I'm going to tell you right now. Most of them I can't repeat in church. But there was one that I heard from, a, I mean, whether I was driving a truck in South Carolina or Indiana or Illinois or any of the random places I would visit in between, there was... Uh, common. I heard this one in the factories. I heard it in warehouses I've worked in. I heard guys say, you can look, but you can't touch. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah? Well, that slogan, that's outright not true, first of all. Um, Jesus goes directly against that one, doesn't he? Um, here's another one I've picked up. I've heard quite often. Tell me if you've heard this one. Uh, Only God will judge me. Anybody ever heard that one? I've used that one in church, haven't I? It's interesting with both of these that there's, there's an element, the first one, just not true. The second one, is there an element of truth to that second one? There is an element. Now, we learned a few weeks ago that that's not entirely accurate. 
But do you see how you can take these little phrases? And then people, it's interesting because what do we do? We take a little phrase like that and then we base all of our decisions. And we can take it and we can mean it however we want. Like the only God will judge. What do, what do people usually mean when they say that one? I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right? I can do whatever I want to do. So, some slogans. Now, our passage is going to be 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to look in your Bibles, you can look there. We're going to start with verse 12. I also have it up on the screen for you, so you can take either route. But I'm going to pause now, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God will direct us as we go through here, and that the end result today would not be Matt Harmless's opinions, but what God would have us to learn from this. Heavenly Father, I do want to pray now that you would help us as we look at your word today. God, I ask that what we talk about, what we discuss, would be based on the text, on your word. God, I pray that it would be true. Lord, help us to avoid going in the wrong direction with what is meant by these different things. God, I pray that you would just let the end result be that you are here and present with us, that your spirit is guiding, not just the thoughts that I'm having and the words that I'm presenting, but also in the reception of those things. Lord, I pray that as I talk about these things today from your word, that Lord, if there's, there's elements in the, in the listener's heart, whether it's the people that are sitting in front of me or myself, God, I pray that you'd tear down those walls of stubbornness or pride and let your truth sink in. God, I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, and you've probably heard this one before. All things are lawful for me. And notice what the quotes there, right? That's not in the Greek. The quotes aren't in the Greek. But commentaries believe this is Paul's using a, a catchphrase of the Corinthians. Okay? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Who's heard this verse before? Anybody? A lot of you? Good. Uh, we don't know the origins of this slogan. Paul is basically saying, I think, he says, all things are lawful for me, but, but, do you hear the but in there? But, so he's saying, that may be true, but there's more to the picture than just that. So he's not rejecting this one outright. In fact, this idea of all things are lawful for me may have come from uh, some biblical sources or maybe even from Paul himself. Ben Witherington, one of my favorite commentators, said this about this uh, particular phrase. He says, there is a sense, sense in which it is true. There really is freedom in Christ. Is there not? Yeah, I see some nods. I see some people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because that freedom is in Christ, there are some qualifications on it. Not all forms of behavior are beneficial to the body of Christ, much less to oneself. And you see that's where Paul's going with this verse. Can you see that in that statement? Okay, my clicker's not working. There we go. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, or some versions say expedient, best. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Like I said, it's quite possible that this phrase came from, even possibly from Christ. There's quite often in the New Testament, when you're reading about Jesus, there's aspects where he uses this word lawful and he, when he's confronting the Pharisees, right? It's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. It's lawful to, uh, you don't have to do this ceremonial hand. I mean, you, you go on, there's all kinds of instances of this. I think it could have even come from Paul himself. Romans 6.14 says, um, <clears throat> For sin will have dom no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under what? Grace. 
You're not under law, but under grace. So here's, here's a teaching of Paul, and so Paul may have taught very similar to this. You're not under law, but under grace. Somebody might have heard that and said, well, all things are lawful for me. And in a sense, it's true. But like Ben Witherington said, there's some, there's some stipulations there. In fact, you can see that in Paul's teaching in Romans. It says, for sin will have do no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over you. Why? He says, because we're not under law, but under grace. In fact, the very next verse after this, Romans 6.15, he says this. What then, if we're, under law, we're not under law, but under grace, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Some versions say, God forbid. It doesn't actually say, God forbid, in the original. Uh, but the, the King James translators put, God forbid, because they wanted to emphasize that that's how strong this is. If we're, under, if we're not under law, but under grace, does that mean we just can do whatever we want? Paul says, absolutely not. That's not what it, it means. The exact opposite. See, there's things, there's some stipulations there. Anthony Thistleton, another one of my favorite commentators, said this. Liberty to do all things, when he translates this verse, he does this because there's a little word play in there, and I, I think he, he captures it really well. Liberty to do all things, so he's retranslating it, right? Liberty to do all things, but not everything is helpful, very similar. But to capture the wordplay that Paul actually uses when he talks about liberty, and he talks about not being brought under the power, he says this, liberty to do all things, but I will not let anything take liberties with me. I love that. You get what he's saying here? Liberty to do all things, but not everything is helpful. So there, there, there's some aspect, Corinthians, where it's true, all things are lawful, but not everything's helpful. But then he says, all things are lawful, but I will not let, things being lawful, I will not let those things in turn dominate me. So here we have idea number one. I want to capture. Now remember, this, these ideas are going to build. Okay, Idea number one. <clears throat> Christian liberty is not about what could I do, but I think it's more about what should I do. And I'm trying to give you some phrases here that you can take with you because there's some great ideas in here. And they're all going to build to one central point. But here's our first one. Idea number one. Christian liberty... In the workplace, we have another slogan. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. You ever heard that one before? Yeah, yeah. Anybody ever used that one before? Nope. Um, it, with Christian liberty, I think the question needs to go beyond just, because that's what we ask. And I have to be honest, that's what we ask when we don't appreciate, when we don't understand the bigger picture. If you look at God as just this, this boss telling you what to do, then the question becomes, is it right or is it wrong? And Paul says, that's not the question. That's what he's doing here. That's not the question. There's other questions to ask. Is it actually helpful? Is it beneficial to me, to you, to others? You see how that works? There's, there's bigger questions asked. Not just, is this right or is it wrong? Because if you start going down that route, what do you start doing? You start end up being like the Corinthians. You go, well, is, it actually, is this actually wrong? I know this is wrong. And some of us, we, we draw that line. Okay, this is clearly wrong. But then what do we do? What do we, okay, maybe this is just me. What do you do when the line is right there? What do you tend to do when you draw the line right, wrong and right? What do you do? 
Do you do this? Get as close. I'm still not wrong. Anybody else in the room do that? I'm making you raise your hands a lot today, aren't I? Anybody else in the room? Let's be honest. Well, it's not wrong, but it may, do you ever say the word wrong? You drag it out when you do Well, it's not wrong. What do you do? You're getting as close to the line as you can get. And Paul, what Paul is doing right off the bat, because this is what the Corinthians have done. They've taken a little element of truth. All things are lawful for me, and they've run with it. Specifically, like I said before, but the word I have a hard time saying when my mom's in the room. Sex. Okay, I almost have a hard time just saying it. She's over there. She's looking. Oh. Mom, can you go out of the room while I talk about this? Um, it, you know, so, but the Corinthians, I think in our society as well, even with Christians, we've drawn a line. That's wrong. This is right. But Paul's saying that's not really the ultimate question we need to be asking. Not just what's right and wrong, but also, let's take it another step. What, what did he say? What's helpful? But also he said, I, I might have liberty, but I'm not going to let anything have liberties with me. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of things that we can say start to take liberties with us and start to control us. Do they not? And let's just be completely honest right now. Kids are out of the room. Most of them. Of years. No, you need to hear this. Does not sex have a controlling aspect over your life when you start to go down that path? There have been plenty of people that have, they, they, they take, they go that direction, they get close to that, and what happens? It starts to dominate every, and that is exactly what Paul's saying. That is exactly what he's saying. He's saying, you've taken this thing and you've, you've made a liberty out of it which they were wrong automatically. But Paul's saying the questions you need to be asking that keep you over here away from even that line is to say this. What is actually, not just what, what, what's the wrong thing, but there's other things to ask. What is actually helpful or beneficial and what might have some dominion over me? And as a Christian, I'm not going to let anything other than Christ himself have liberty with me. In my Christian liberty, and that's um, one of the books I was reading when I was preparing for this, and I, it, it, there's such a big section, I knew there's no way I could squeeze it in here, but there's this lady, not a Christian, um, was talking about this exact issue, and she was talking about how um, the, the sexual revolution of the 70s has had exactly the opposite effect on most people. Okay? Instead of becoming more free, we are more and more controlled by these particular aspects. I mean, our, our society is ruled by this issue. Anyway, I don't have time to get into that. Let's go back to this. Christian liberty is not just about what could I do, but what should I do. That's the first thought. Now, Paul is going to seemingly shift gears. He's going to say another slogan, but I don't want you to be confused. He's going to talk about food, but I don't want you to think for a moment. He's just talking about food. It's a slogan. It's a phrase. And just like our slogan, sometimes we say something, we got a different meaning involved there. Paul says this exact same, this thing next. He said, here's the slogan, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Now, if we just stopped there, I'd be like, I agree. <laughs> I see some good food, I say, that's meant for my stomach, <laughs> right? And the stomach is meant to have food in it. Uh, no. Now, 
Notice that this ended the quote there right after the word food. Um, there's a good argument to say that their, their little slogan actually went to where it says, uh, see the word other? That the, the part about God in there may have actually been part of their slogan. And so I'm going to include it in there. I didn't include it because that's not how it was uh, in my translation. But I think there's a good argument from several of the commentaries I read that, that the slogan may have continued that last part. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. I think that's the, that's the slogan. Food's for the stomach. Stomach's for food. God's going to destroy the food in the stomach. right? I mean, it's all temporary. It's all transient. It's... it's, it's, it's these things, these bodily things, are not permanent. Do you see where he's going with this? These bodily things are not permanent. But God, or what does he say after this? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, let's hold on to that last little part there. Paul takes this phrase and completely flips it upside down. The phrase, the slogan is saying, hey, this stuff is temporary. Food's for stomach, stomach for food. Right? If I may be so bold in church, I apologize once again. You could take this to mean the body's made for sex and sex is for the body. Isn't that what they're really saying? And it, see, that's where it, it, you, can, you can lose it if you're, not paying, if you're not paying careful attention because what happens? He's talking about this. He shifts gears into food. No, he didn't. This is the slogan they used. Can you picture these Corinthian Christians worshiping God on Sunday and then on Monday at their, uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this certain way, taking advantage of how the, the society was established. I'm at a dinner party. My worldly, uh, you know, who's still worshiping this God has provided this. Ah, what do I say? Food for the stomach, stomach for food. Do you see, can you picture them doing that? Paul turns this around because that very last phrase, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you let that last phrase sink in, it, it changes everything. Right? Before the Lord. The body, not meant for this. The body is meant for the Lord. The body, the physical body, not just some abstract, not just the soul, but the actual body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now let yourself sink on this for a minute. I think that there may be some of us that have a similar challenge that they have. There's, like, we may look at the body as just a house for our soul. Now, there was some groups after this time, one of them is the Gnostics, that, that went lots of different ways with this. There, in fact, this idea came from Plato. Plato would say that, hey, the, the body, the, these things are just temporary, the stomach, you know, our appetites, our desires, are, they're temporary. What really matters is the soul. And there's some Christians that kind of start to have that same opinion. What doesn't really matter, I mean, I know I did this, but it, what really matters is the soul. Now, there's some extremes of this, I think. There's a lot of Christians that I have met that call themselves Christians that think I can, I can really, I can do whatever we want. And they may even use the phrase, because only God will judge. But then they tack on the end, but God's a forgiving judge. He's a forgiving God. We just read all those forgiveness verses earlier. So I can, I can do what I want with my body. It doesn't really matter because I, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. My soul is saved and I'm going to go to heaven. 
This is exactly where the Corinthians were operating. This stuff over here, the physical, didn't matter that much. Hey, the food is meant for this stomach, and the stomach is meant for the food. It's physical. And I may indulge, but my soul saved. Jesus paid the debt. I think that's right where the Corinthians were operating. Paul says this is flatly not true. Anthony Thistleton says this. He says, the body provides in Christianity because the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. The body provides the public domain of visible, concrete obedience to the Lord in everyday terms. This physical body that you have is here for the Lord, the Lord for you, so that you can say, what, what's going on on the inside, if we could put it that way? I've said quite often in this church, I've said, you, you know, when we talked about James, you can't rip open the chest and see faith, so how do you know it's there? The Lord is meant for the body and body for the Lord. See, how do you know what's going on, on the inside, what's happening? This is the physical representation that you can see of what's happening with your soul. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. <clears throat> Let me give you my second idea here. It's this one. Christian living, then, is not about what do I want. See the appetite element filtering in here? It's not just about what do I, what do I want. But what does, what does God want? It's not just about this appetite any longer. It's about saying, okay, if this, is, if, if this body has been given to me to be a representation of, of God working out in me, His salvation working out in me, so this can be a visible representation, not just for me, but even for others, then it's not just any longer about what, what, do, what do I want so that I might be fulfilled or I might have what I want or I haven't might have my needs met. There's bigger things at stake. Which is where I'm going to give you um, four little side thoughts as we talk about this. The first one is right here. This is simple. And these are, I, I wanted to give these little side thoughts because these are thoughts that I think I wanted to condense them down. So these are things that can just pop in your head. So you're being tempted, you're thinking about going a certain way, you're acting selfishly. Here's some things that can just pop into your head easily. Your body is for the Lord. Is that not what Paul said? I left out the whole phrase because this is an easy one to just have stuck in your brain. Your body, who's it for? The Lord. This physical body you have? Now, I'm going to be honest. I know the context here is sexual immorality, but I'm also thinking about other issues. Gluttony. Um, I'm thinking about last week on vacation. What was it? Gauchos. They kept Bra Brazilian cafe... They had these, this meat that had me right there on these, these spits, right, that would turn. They had them all in there, had like all these different kinds of meats. And, they, they would, and you, you ordered an experience. You didn't order a menu, you ordered experience is what it was called. And you had this little card and it was, green means go, red means stop. And man, mine was on green for a long time. And these guys would come around with this meat dripping juices off of it. Right? And they'd bring it around, they would sit it right next to you, then you go, Would you like some of this? And my answer, what do you think it was? Why, well, yes, I would. And then they would slice some piece of ribeye off, or filet mignon, or 
what, what else did they have? I'm trying to think of the other ones that they had. And it, it, this marinated chicken, uh, I could take one of those, but man, bring that ribeye back out, right? Let's get some red meat going here. Sausages, they cut off a little piece of sausage. Come back by. See, I'm, I know that there's more to that than this, but the context for them was what? Sexual immorality. Are there aspects of this that flow out into other things that I'm already thinking about? Yes, I am. Your body? Who's it for? For the Lord. Let's try that again. Your body? Who's it for? For the Lord. For the Lord. Verse 14. <clears throat> Paul takes that thought, and he's, gonna, man, he's gonna, just going to run with this thought for a minute here and expand on it in ways that maybe you haven't thought about. He says this. He says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, in the context of what we're talking about, what is he talking about raising up, thinking on the last day? What's going to be raised up? Our body. Right? Now, our spirit, our soul, but specifically, we are going to have a resurrected body. When they went to the tomb where Jesus was resurrected, was his old body still laying there? No. Tomb was empty. What got raised? His body. Now, I don't know how far to go with this. I'm only going to go as far as Paul goes with this. But understand that what he's saying here, he's, he's making a connection. He says, since your body is for the Lord, and since your body is going to be raised, I can't help but think, is Paul actually making a connection with what we do here in connection with the fact that these same bodies are going to be raised later? I don't know. Is that what it sounds like he's saying? It does to me. He says, this body is for you. The Lord is for your body. You're, right? You're for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. And then to top that off, what does he say? He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise you up. So you look back at Christ being raised and you start thinking, Man, Paul's taking this, what we do here, pretty seriously. And he's thinking about what happens there. Let's do this, though. Let's give this side thought. Your body is to represent Christ's resurrected body. That's what I get from this. Your body in some way is meant to be an example, and this just flows right from what he's saying here, an example of Christ's resurrected body. You want to know what Jesus is like? What are the physical representations of that? Christ in his resurrected body. Now, it's going to expand a little bit further, so let me go on to this next verse. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So how, how in the world are we representing Christ? I think it's found right here. Members of Christ. Do you not know that your bodies, your physical bodies, remember, he's still talking about this, your physical bodies are members of Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ... And make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never. Side thought three, your body is an organ or limb. And Paul's actually going to take a whole section later in Corinthians and just talk about this in great detail. Your body is an organ or a limb of the body of Christ, the church. Let that 
thought just marinate, think about meats, marinate in your, in your brain. This idea that when you go in this direction of sin, you begin doing things with your body, that what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to take off this part of Christ's body. That's what Paul's saying. Let me go back to the verse. This stupid clicker is making me mad. Right? What's happening? Taking off part of Christ's body. Later on in Corinthians, it talks about like some are an eye, some are a hand, some are a foot. Would you take part of Christ's body and unite it over here with this activity? Would you? Do you think about doing these things like that in that context? I guarantee it will change the way you think about what you're doing with your body. It's interesting because I don't have this in my notes, but I'm sitting here thinking about all the things that you might be thinking about that you may have done with your bodies. And now you're thinking, as a Christian, I was taking myself, right, this part, this member of the body of Christ, and putting it in this situation over here. Marinate, right? Marinate is your brain, your meat computer, is it marinating on that? You're over here engaging in whatever it is you're engaging in that you know is wrong, and I'm not even going to try to go down that path because we're in church, right? Maybe you're thinking about all these different things. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this with my eyes, I've done this with my, myself. I've... Did you have Jesus right there? You're bringing Jesus into that. I mean, that's what Paul's saying. Add some depth. I had in my notes here at one point, I thought, and I got rid of the sins, but I thought, man, that just makes some of these activities that we might, see, we may have been up at the beginning, all things are lawful for me. Well, it's not really that, or this isn't here. You can't really say that's wrong, wrong. But Paul just keeps taking it a step further, doesn't he? I mean, suddenly some of those things you start thinking, you get that, you know that look? <laughs> this is a lot, this is a lot bigger than I originally thought. It's not just about, this is a lot worse than I originally thought. You're like, so there's, there's bigger ramifications here to what I'm doing with this body that God has given me. Now, I wish I had time, and I may take some time on Wednesday night to dig into this next um, verse here. Because Paul, in explaining himself, says this, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And then he uses a reference text, going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For as it is written... The two will become one flesh. That's talking about Adam and Eve in marriage. The two become one flesh. Plenty of other passages of Scripture reference this, two will become one flesh. Paul uses it right here to say something. Something big. There's something more than just physical, and, and I want to say 
Most of you in this room understand this is true. It's not just physical. It never is. You're uniting with someone in that act. It is not to be taken lightly. No matter how casual you try to make it, it is not casual. And this verse blows that thought out of the water. Now you may be thinking about all the different, well, what does that mean about this? What does that mean about this? Let's set those things on the table but because we want to capture what Paul's, he's increasing the, the volume of the importance of what you do with your physical body. And he wants to make sure the Corinthians and us that we understand it's a big deal and not to be taken lightly. He says in verse 17, but he, so you can unite in that way, he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There's this oneness that you could have with God. There's this oneness that's what we would try to describe as purely physical. And Paul's saying you can't sort the, you can't compartmentalize, right? You, you can't put it in different little compartments and say, well, I can do this and it's not going to affect this. That's what Paul's saying here. Next verse, then. And if you've been getting the magnitude, you understand this very next sentence, the first part of this verse. Flee. The Greek word that's translated sexual immorality here is the Greek word pornea. Sound like any words, any English words you know? Right? Porn, pornography. Flee. Run away. He says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Ben Witherington talking about this says, Verse 18 is not to be pressed too hard, since other sins are also against one's body. For example, drug abuse. Okay, so he, he, he's recognizing, Paul's not making a blanket statement, this is saying this is, there's nothing else that can be against the body. So you... you uh, ben Weatherton is saying, don't press it too hard, since other sins are also against one's body, for example, drug abuse. Paul's point is that sexual sin, unlike other sins, involve one's very body in a union with others and is a sin against self as well as others. It involves the whole self. And this is dangerous and deadly to one's spiritual well-being. For it puts one into the hands and connecting back to this mastery idea, I, we have, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated, right? For it puts one into the hands and mastery of someone other than the Lord. So my side thought number four, and this one, this next side thought, I'm just going to be totally honest with you, stems from my, my own youth. This is when I first started seeking after God. This is, I, I had to keep it simple, okay? Run away. Run away. Aspects of temptation, especially in this arena, get away. Be afraid. 
Don't get close. Don't play with fire, I think our slogans say. Don't mess around. This is honestly, I mean, I, I could go into specific detail here, but I, I'm just going to be honest. People play too close to the line when it comes to this. They get too close to the line. You, you need to keep distance or you will be dominated by these things. And then I'm going to close with this last verse because I have one more thought and two more verses here. This last verse, this was the, the, one of the first verses that my mom made me memorize, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I can remember her having me quote that to her. Um, or do you not know? Don't you know? Did you not know this? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This takes that magnitude and brings it up a whole other step. Right? The Christian life, I don't know if I have these in the right order. The Christian's life, though free for us, is it not free? Aren't you grateful for that? God's grace is free. Did come at a cost. The precious blood of Christ shed on the cross to purchase you from sin, purchase you from destruction. I think that Paul is bringing this all in here together. I thought of Hebrews 10 when I was reading this. Hebrews 10, talking about very similar topics, says this. He was talking about law, the author of Hebrews, what you can and can't. And he says, under the law, it's one way. You break the law, the consequences are big. Hebrews 10.29 says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? You know what he's talking about here? Some take that precious blood of Christ and they say, you know what? He's paid for my sin. Therefore, I ought to be able to pretty much do what I want. If I'm not earning it, I can kind of live up. Because I can always ask what? Forgiveness? Right of Hebrews says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one, deserved by the one, was trampled underfoot the Son of God. That's precisely what we're doing. Idea number three. Like I said, the Christian's life, though free for us, came at a cost, and I'm going to have a summary idea here. You, and this is one that you can just pack. If you don't remember anything else from what I've said today, because there's a lot of different little elements, filaments all, trying to, I'm trying to tie them all together. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this phrase right here. That's why I made it bigger. Right? You're not your own. You're not your own. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. Keep that in your mind. Let's marinate it again, right? The meat computer. Let it marinate. I'm not my, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I'm, I'm not my own. Can you imagine how this starts to affect all the decisions that you make? Uh, one particular phrase that pops in your head that suddenly sounds to be pitiful. 
What about me? Have you ever said that? What about me? You're not your own. You're not your own. We were bought with a price. When we take communion today, and as most of you know, we, I offer open communion. That's what we do here at Edgewood. Open communion means that uh, we don't make everybody leave and say, okay, just you know, certain people, you're in here to do this. We, we open up, we say, if you're here and you're a believer, we want you to participate, fellowship with us in this, commune with us in this. Every week I've been trying to offer a thought, something to infiltrate how you're thinking about this in this moment. Today would be a good day to think about the cost. The fact that you believe, if it's true that Christ is the way to God, that he came to this earth, he died on the cross for your sins, he freely offers you forgiveness because of the debt that he paid, if these things are true, it ought to affect what we do with these bodies. And one of the best ways that we can do that is thinking again and again about the cost. When you pick up this bread, I'm going to pass it around, you're going to be holding that bread for a minute. Let yourself think about that. Jesus was physically, his physical body, he was experiencing it. He was fully human and fully God, but he was fully human. When he's experiencing that pain, it was real. And he stayed up there on that cross for this purpose. So that I might be able to believe in him and have eternal life. So you hold that bread, you think, man, I can feel it with my fingers. What did he feel? And they bring around the cup. You're going to get the cup. And so you're going to have the bread in one hand, you have the cup in the other hand. Think about the blood that was shed on the cross. I mean, real blood was shed by Christ on that cross. Let yourself think about that. Dwell on that. There was a cost. And then I want to encourage you to start praying. Say, okay, Lord, if these things are true, and I'm, I'm believing it. Now, if you're here and you don't believe it, I would encourage you when it comes by, nobody's paying attention. When it comes by, don't grab that bread, don't grab that cup. You, you don't believe that. But if you're here today and you believe it, no matter what you've done, maybe you were listening to me today and you said, man, I've gone the wrong way in my life. Come to Christ. You say, Lord, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been treating myself like I'm my own. There is forgiveness for that. Right? But forgiveness comes as we come to him. So I'm going to have the guys come up. I've got a couple guys in here. They're going to come up. They're going to distribute these things. I want you to hear it in here today. You believe in him. You're putting your, all of your faith in him. No matter what I've done in my life, I'm trusting God and your grace. But then I want to walk away today, Lord. I want to walk away with a better understanding of who I am in this physical body, what, I'm, what I ought to be doing. Not just what, what can I do, but Lord, what should I do? Not just what do I want, but God, what do you want? Not just I'm my own, but Lord, I'm yours. Even in this physical body, let me represent you. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you for this bread and this cup, and I ask, Lord, that you would bless it. I pray for your blessing on what we're about to do. I pray for your blessing on uh, as we partake in this. 
Lord, I know that it's still just bread in a cup, but I pray that it would be meaningful for each person in this room that has genuine faith in you. God, I pray now that you would just bless our time. Help us to remember, help us to hear the words and remember all that you've done. Help us to walk away today changed. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.